we get into God's Word, I'm going to try and start asking a little bit earlier, so it's a little more helpful to you. But if you need a Bible, simply raise your hand, and um, we'll be glad to get one in your hand. So if you need a Bible, put up your hand. We'll be glad to give you one. You can keep it if you need one. So turn with us, Luke chapter 12, if you're visiting, we go uh, verse by verse through a couple different studies. We're in the book of Ezekiel, as I shared on Wednesday. I'm going to be moving through Ezekiel a little faster, taking a more thematic approach where we'll look at larger sections of the book of Ezekiel, because Ezekiel uh, is a powerful, sobering book, but it has a lot of repetitive themes, and so we'll kind of pull uh, some of that together and look at it from a broader scope, and then uh, we'll continue in Luke to kind of dive into the verse-by-verse study. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 35. We'll be reading verses 35 through 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. When he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what, the, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom the master will make ruler over his household, and give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say, that you, say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of strife, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Father, we ask again now the ministry of your Spirit and through your Word to us, the hearers. Lord, may we be not only hearers, though, may we be doers. For Lord, there's great blessing in obeying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lloyd Corey, um, he wrote this quote, and he said, Time is significant because it is so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it or relive it. There is no such thing as literal instant replay. That only appears on film. It travels alongside us every day, yet it has eternity wrapped up in it. Although this is true, time often seems relative, doesn't it? 
For example, two weeks on a vacation is not at all like two weeks on a diet. (laughs) Also, some people can stay longer in an hour than others in a week. Ben Franklin said of time, that is the stuff life is made of. Time forms life's building blocks. The philosopher William James once said, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Jesus wants us to know for certain what he wants us to do with our time. He wants us to use it wisely. He wants us to truly understand at the heart level that our time is really short. That if you're saved, we've been bought with a price, according to the Scriptures. That we're not even our own anymore to even determine how do we want to use our time, but we've been bought to be His what? Servants. Stewards. We pledged our service to Him. That He would, by His Spirit, help us, and, and Lord knows we need it, help us how to redeem the time. Amen? Help us to do the things that are His will in His time, reaching out as His hands and as His feet in a lost and dying world that time is slipping away, whether they realize it or whether we realize it or not. But truly, God realizes it. He's the one that said our life is but a vapor, appears for a little bit, vanishes away. So we want our time in this lifetime, to be built into something that will outlast our life, won't it? Something that will, if you were here in previous studies, you know that just a couple of verses higher up in, um, uh, up in the uh, 30, 33rd, uh, or 34th verse, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He told in verse 33 to put your treasures someplace where they would never be touched or corrupted. In heaven. And so, what we do with time now, what we do with the commands of Christ, are going to have an impact on all of eternity. Are we serving our brothers and sisters? Are we serving those that are outside these four walls that don't know there's the gospel, that don't know that, that God has paid the price for their sin? If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning Ready and Waiting. Ready and waiting. We'll look at two things from the text this morning. Although I'm using four words, but two things. The first is prepared and prudent. I mean, who doesn't want to be prepared and prudent or wise? And the second is presumptuous and preoccupied. Jesus tells the story of of a couple of groups here. Presumptuous and preoccupied. Mind is on other things. Presumptuous that time will continue to go on. Presumptuous that tomorrow, I'm pretty sure how the day's going to go. When we're really not so sure, are we? We can't be guaranteed of how the, the rest of this afternoon will go. But we can be guaranteed that if we're obeying Christ, we're ready for whatever may come. We're prepared for what happens down the road. Let's take a look at verse 35. Uh, Jesus begins this section uh, 
let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Now I want to say for a second, as we kind of look back, all of chapter 12, all of chapter 12, it, it kind of like is, if Jesus was bringing in uh, a group of fresh recruits, you could look at chapter 12 as a basic training overview for the Christian life. I mean, Jesus begins by talking about avoiding the leaven or the hypocrisy of the Pharisees back in the uh, beginning verses of chapter 12. Uh, he talks about who you should fear, fear God, not fear man. Uh, because even you know, if you sign up in the military, uh, there's going to be days when you're afraid. So Jesus talks about uh, if you're going to have that healthy fear, it needs to be for the Lord, not for man. And know who's given you your marching orders. That is God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to talk about making sure that we don't deny the Lord and we confess His name in verses 8 through 12. And then he talks about the great deception that many fall away and fall into, and that is the pursuit of stuff and things and riches. And the rich fool who Jesus said, uh, he's prepared all these riches and barns, he's finally going to sit back and enjoy them, but doesn't recognize that his soul will be required that very night. And reminding us as uh, his followers, don't be deceived, don't walk away, don't be misled. All the way to Adam and Eve, way back in the garden, they had it perfect and they were pulled away, weren't they? And then he gets into telling his disciples, you know, there's going to be a lot of stresses and strains and trials in life, but don't become worrisome, anxious. Instead, let Christ, your chief cornerstone, be your anchor that you don't live in worry. And you really have a trust in the Lord that he's got us safely in his hands. And we kind of learn to meditate on the things of eternity and the things of Christ. And it kind of keeps us, guards us, protects us from uh, just kind of our eyes looking covetously and longingly at the world. Because there's always, a you want to go AWOL as a soldier. And Jesus says, but you can't. Don't look at all those things. Remember, you're under my protection. And really, the only place you'll find peace is to rest in the Lord. And then finally, now he gets into, so after you've had all that kind of understanding, what should you be doing with your time? Because idle hands are going to lead us straight back to those other areas. Worry, worshiping the world or the things of this world, longing for the world. But you know, when, when Noah was building an ark, he didn't have a whole lot of time to get into sin, did he? Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. Because those that are working and waiting for... Noah didn't even know... I don't, we, we, we don't have any record in the Bible that there was rain before the flood. Noah didn't necessarily know what was coming, but he knew what he was supposed to be doing. And as he did it, he could talk to God. Another peg in the boat. Another peg in the boat. Shave another piece of wood. Tell another person walking by that's laughing, say, hey, goofball, there's never been rain. And he would say back, thank you for the feedback, but there will be rain, and if you decide to get on the ship with us, the boat with us, whatever the ark with us, whatever you want to call it, you'll be safe. And it's essentially what we do in our whole lifetime. We're serving Christ, we're ready for what's coming, but we don't know exactly when it's coming, how it's coming, but we know for certainty that God cannot lie and he's told us the truth. 
And so Jesus now approaches this section, and he's explaining to all of us, his recruits that are now fully committed in, saying, this is what you need to be doing with your time. And you'll still have a temptation to not do this. And notice how many times Jesus revisits our flesh instincts. You would say, well, that's enough of hearing that because we already know. No, no, he keeps revisiting it, revisiting it. If I ever sound repetitive to you, I'm just being repetitive because the Bible's repetitive. Verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. In Ephesians 6.14, Paul writes, stand therefore. Having, your, having girded your waist with what? Truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus says, all right, out of the gate, I've told you all these things, but don't forget that truth can be forgotten rather quickly. You know how many lies we're told by the world on a daily basis? Commercials. I mean, I'm not talking about whoppers that are like, but lies that these things will actually give you peace, that these things will actually give you joy, that these things actually have any kind of lasting value, when really the thrill of any of the things that you can buy or go do are gone almost as fast as you did them, right? But Jesus is saying, but truth doesn't work that way. You, you bind it on there, and it will stay. And as you have truth, the truth of God's word, it's so important. As Psalm 119, 105 says, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of, you know, just misinformation and all the things that the world would say, yeah, you do this, you're going to feel great. You're never going to have any problems. And Jesus says, it's not true. The only place you're going to find rest Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you what? Rest. It's hard to believe you can have rest building an ark. And yet that's what we're doing. We're building the kingdom of God, but not with the methods of man. We're building it with the methods of Christ and exactly how he told us to do it. It comes with loving people, comes with serving people, comes with praying, and it comes, as Jesus says here, in having the Word of God implanted deep within us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He said, your lamps have to stay lit. Remember he talked about, don't put them under your bed? But they have to stay lit. Well, how can they stay lit? Well, you have to be in the Word. When I disciple people, I try and remind them, you have to. We had our men's breakfast yesterday, and uh, our assistant pastor, Randy, was talking about that with the guys and saying, you know, we have to every morning at least spend a few minutes in prayer and at least have a few verses that we read because we need spiritual nutrition just like we need breakfast. But actually, we need it a lot more than we need breakfast. Man, Jesus said, man won't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need his food and his nourishment more, his truth. To, because when we have his truth, we can see. The Bible says that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, but people that don't study and have the word of God, they are ignorant of Satan's devices. But we're not. If the word is there, then the Holy Spirit illuminates the word. Why do we pray just before we got into word? Because I really believe I always need the help of the Holy Spirit, even though I have the word right in front of me. Because the lamp lit is the Holy Spirit taking the word and making it alive. You ever, heard, you ever met people that know scripture? 
but they don't follow Scripture? You can know a lot, but you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to be born again first, but he's assuming, Jesus said, if you've been born again, if you really are one of my servants, keep the lamp lit. Stay in your first love. Matthew 25 uh, verse 4, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. That was the parable that Jesus told of the wise and the foolish virgins. And by the way, uh, there's a lot of debate on exactly what Jesus means by that because they're both called virgins. In other words, they both appear to be very church-going people, but one group has lamps lit and the other no oil. The Holy Spirit's not flowing in their life or not even present in their life. I could debate either side but that's not the point. The point is this, that Jesus says there's only one of those groups that are wise. And those are those that actually read the Word. They actually believe it's important every day to open the Word of God. And not everybody can do first thing in the morning. People have weird hours. Some people have to be on the job at four in the morning. Some have a graveyard shift. But the the point is, we have to make time to hear from the Lord. Amen? It's not a single formula. It's different for different folks or different uh, occupations and things like that. But we have to make time to keep our lamps lit. I pastor a church, but even I've told you before, the way that pastors stay pure in this world is not only to study for teaching on Sunday. I have my own personal devotions seven days a week that are not what I'm teaching you guys. Because I need to be taught by Jesus personally. That's how my lamp stays lit. That's how the oil flows. That's how I care about someone that I meet in a 7-Eleven or things like that. And it's not just words from a pulpit. He said, be ready, girded. Verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. Uh, who, if he, uh, when he returns from the wedding, that he comes and knocks and they may open to him immediately. You ever knocked on the door? And you know someone's home, but they don't get to the door immediately. And if they're upstairs in the shower or something, and you left, you left your key in the house, Jesus said his servants are conscientious to be ready for his specific voice, his specific return, his specific. Ready for the work ready for any need the Lord calls us to, any need he places before us. Remember back in Luke chapter 10, remember the Good Samaritan? You know, that day when, when the two other religious leaders, who were the really spiritual guys, well, they all went out around the same time that day. But it was only the Samaritan who was considered the second-class citizen to the Jews, and especially these religious guys, they considered him second class. He was the only one ready for service, wasn't he? Not just ready materially, because the others probably could have done something materially, but they weren't ready where? In the heart. They didn't see it all important. They're not taking their busy time to stop and minister to this guy who probably got what he deserved. It was their attitude. So Jesus is saying, my servants are ready for whatever I send their way, and specifically also ready for Christ himself to say, hey, Tim, I want you to do this. Hey, Bob, I want you to do this. Hey, Susie, I want you to do this. I want you to go and spend your time in this area because it's important to me. But I don't know if that's important. You don't say that if you're a servant. 
In the ancient world, they kind of understood this. In the ancient world, servants did not say, but that's not important to me. You didn't really have that opportunity to say that. You would be replaced quickly as a servant. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't deal with us harshly like that. But the point is, is that he is saying to us, you need to be ready. Ready for my return. And back in the book of Nehemiah, uh, we won't turn there, but you know, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, when they were building the wall, they had a trowel in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, ready for either that may come. They had to continue to build the wall because they had given, the Lord himself had given these orders to say, I want you to build up, but understand they had to be ready because the enemy is constantly attacking. And folks, in our life, we're on the one hand building the kingdom of God, but we also are battling against principalities and powers, spirit. And spiritual wickedness in high places all around us. And people seem surprised when I went to do this for the Lord and there was so much opposition. Hello? That's the way it works. That's why Jesus is talking about even in the middle of the night, it's not easy, he's saying. You've got to be ready for the third watch, the second watch. Paul talked about sleeplessness often. He might wake, if you really serve the Lord and you're a ready servant, he might wake you up at 2 in the morning sometimes and say, start praying. That's probably going to happen to me tonight because I said it. <laughs> that, that does happen to me a lot. I'll accidentally say something and I realize the Holy Spirit put it in my mouth and then I'll end up having to walk it straight out. But that's the way God works because he's like, I want you ready for my service, not your own. George Washington said, to be prepared for war is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. Christian, that's true for us, isn't it? We're called soldiers of Christ. To be prepared for battle. You've read Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Because you have to be ready to do battle day in and day out. You can't do that unless you're in the Word, in prayer, walking the Holy Spirit. But not, how do you walk in the Holy Spirit? Obedience. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's where the protection is. That's where Jesus will make sure that he says, you do what I say, I'll take care of the circumstance. I told you Dr. Charles Stanley said for a year, you know, let God worry about the consequences. He said that for years. And it's true. We just simply say, Lord, what do you want us to do? You want us girded about? You want us to get up at this time? Do you want us to serve this person? you want me to send an email to so-and-so? you want me to send a text? you want me to serve in this capacity? you want me to serve in this ministry? And we're ready. But we're doing it with a joyful heart. You know, if Noah and his sons were doing it just whining and complaining, there's no testimony there. Is there? No, it should be done with joy. Verse 37, Blessed are those servants... And when the master comes, we'll find watching, as surely I say to you, they will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Boy, won't that be something? He's not just talking about a parable. Jesus is saying something that will happen in the future. This is unbelievable. Not only is he going to do this, as we'll look at next week when he enters the upper room, Jesus will gird himself and wash the feet of his very own disciples. Their disgusting feet walking. Yeah, who wants to wash people's feet? I mean, really. Dirty. He's not only going to do it here on this earth, but in the future, there's another service coming 
It'll be glorious. He's not just speaking a parable here. It's speaking that this will come to pass. In Titus 2.13, it tells us looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to eternity with Christ? Are you looking forward to His return? Do you believe Jesus when He said it could happen at any moment? Jesus, as you see from the text here, He said, I say to you, that servant will come and have them sit down and will serve Him. In other words, the Master says, I'm going to serve the servants. Jesus wants, understand this Christian, Jesus wants to bless his servants. Not always the way that we think it is. I mean, uh, how God chooses to bless us, we don't always know and understand until after the fact. But he does want to bless us. Has anyone here ever been in management? Or maybe you're in management now? You actually have people that report to you? I feel sorry for this. I'm kidding. I, but anyway, you, if you've been in management, you actually have people that report to you. Um, you know, even, even the business world or, or, or the, the commercial world, government, enterprise, whatever it may be, understands. I mean, any of you have been in the workforce, you know that they have things like Employee Appreciation Day. And some companies will take the whole, the whole gang to King's Dominion. Thanks for a great service, even some of you that didn't do so great. Right? But you get to come anyway. Bring your family. Big family picnic for all the employees. All kinds of things. Maybe a Christmas bonus. And then there's bonuses for people who did really good work. Promotions. Bonuses. Why? Because they excelled. I can't remember where I saw the quote, but uh, oh, I think Pastor Greg Johnson up in New York talked about if you only do uh, exactly what's required, don't expect to get paid more. See, Jesus' servants don't do the bare minimum. They want to excel. They want to serve their master and say, Lord, what can we do for you? And someday he will reward their efforts. You better believe Paul is going to see some great rewards because Paul said, I count everything else in the past worthless compared to serving Christ. But Jesus, he wants to give that special recognition. He wants to reward his children. I mean, most of you, if you're parents, you want to bless your children too. But not if they're being disobedient, right? Not if they're saying, I'm not doing a thing you say. It's my life, I'm in charge. Imagine saying that to your boss. Do you like being employed? Right? Why do we seem to get it with everything but the Lord? Why do players seem to get that they have to do what the coach says? But when it comes to God, we say, well, well, he doesn't really count. He's only the creator of the universe. I do have to, I have to do anything my boss says, but I do not do anything Jesus says. How do we got it so up to, upside down? And Jesus is speaking to his servants, say, don't have it upside down. Listen to me. I love you guys. Hear me. This is Jesus speaking. But there are conditions, aren't there? He wants to bless us, but there are conditions. And the conditions are that we yield and say, Lord, what did Jesus say before the cross? 
Father, not my will, but thy will be done. He's not even asking us to be crucified. He's just asking us to gird our waist and follow in his footsteps. Some employees end up being fired, don't they? Have you ever seen someone fired? You ever had to fire somebody? Did you want to say, I can't wait to fire people today? We're not even like God, and we don't even, you know, most of us don't have that desire. We want to see people succeed. We want to see people do well. We generally don't say, man, I can't wait to fire everybody today. You want people to do well, but you want them to make sure that they're doing the things they've been asked to do. And if they're resistant and say, no way, I'll do it my own way, then you end up having no choice, especially if you're a small business owner. You know, every penny counts. Nobody wants to do those things, but Jesus is saying, hey, better than that, if you follow me faithfully, someday I'm going to lavish you and I'm going to do something for you in eternity that will blow your mind. Isn't that amazing? But this will happen, by the way, in heaven. I believe if I understand the scriptures, he will not do all that for us until we've cast our crowns first at his feet. He's going to have one last day. Make sure everyone here realizes all of this is my grace bestowed. And we'll cast our crowns at his feet. And then he'll invite us to a massive supper where he himself will preside over it. And we'll finally partake. No sin, no temptation, none of the stuff that we fought against in in the world, all that stuff would be gone. Look at verse 38 through 40 here. And he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. But know this, that the master of the house had come, the hour of the thief would come. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken. And therefore you also be ready. The Son of Man is coming an hour where you do not expect. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. Always be ready. In Matthew chapter 24, for those of you that were in our prophecy uh, teaching back, I did a series uh, back in the late fall. Uh, We looked at Matthew chapter 24 fairly in depth. And in Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 through 42, Jesus tells us this. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Exact same words as he says here. You do not know what hour your Lord is coming. If you read the rest of those, uh, verses 43 through 44, Jesus gives the same metaphor in, Luke, uh, in Matthew chapter 24 of the thief coming in the middle of the night and the man not watching and being ready. Jesus here reminding us that he is going to return. Now, he hasn't even left at this point. He's still with the disciples. So it's even harder for them to kind of relate to what he's talking about. For us, we can absolutely relate because we know he has ascended back to the Father. And we believe intellectually, but I think many times as Christians, we believe it up here, but I'm not sure how far it settles here that we really believe he could return at any time. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus could come back, but I'm guessing that'll be 2050 or even later but we don't know. All the church and all of church history had to be ready for the imminent return 
of Christ. And guess what? Even if he doesn't, I, my pastor, when we were down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, it always stuck with me. Even if Jesus does not return for the rapture of the church in our lifetime, he's returning for every single soul one at a time, and that's always when people don't expect. Right? It's never when people expect. Whether you live to be 100 or whether you die tragically at 17 or 22 or 35 or 46, those are years that no one really knows when and you know when they're going to actually face their final day on this earth so he's going to come no matter what at an hour that people don't expect that was the point with the rich man he thought he had remember it said he had many more years left at least in his mind many more years left to enjoy all this and god says you don't your time's up we need to be ready and really anticipating uh, the return of Christ, because he really could return any moment. I think prophetically, never have we seen a time on the prophetic calendar, uh, you know, with Israel becoming a nation in 1948, Jerusalem taking all, all of the uh, city area back in 1967. There's nothing left on the prophetic calendar to prevent. And like I said, uh, Christ, frankly, could have come back even before those things, because how do we know that? Well, Jesus is the one that said to be ready for any time. The imminent return. Remember what he said there in Luke uh, or Matthew 24, that two people will be working side by side. Neither had any idea. They're both grinding at the mill. It seemed like a normal day at the office. One's gone, one's left behind. Two people walking down the road, seems like a normal day. One's gone, one's left behind. We need to be ready. We need to be looking for and longing. Even the scriptures say hastening his return. Now, Peter asked this question in verse 41. Lord, are you speaking this just to us? Just to us, maybe just the 12, maybe us just the committed disciples? Who is this? Lord, who? I, I love Peter. He asked the questions everyone else is thinking. Isn't it nice when you have someone in the class that's not afraid to ask the dumb question <laughs> that you want to ask too? And you're glad that some people couldn't care less what anybody thinks. This is Peter. Hey, Lord, who are you talking to? Is, is this me? Peter? Is this everybody? It's got to be the other guys, right? Jesus was talking to everybody. Most specifically, he's talking to the church. People that are the church going, people that claim to be believers, people that claim to be Christians. But he actually touches on everybody. So it is inclusive of the whole world, though if you're looking at the bullseye of who he's talking to, it's primarily, but not exclusively, it's primarily to those that claim to be Christians, but he touches on everyone else as well. I can't remember who authored the quote, but I read a while back there's three types of people in the world. Those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and those that don't know what's happening. And I think similarly, there are those in the church, and I'm not speaking of Calvary Chapel, Richmond, I'm speaking of all of the church, Baptist, Presbyterian, United Methodist, whatever they are, if they're followers of Christ and they're believers, I'm speaking to the church at large, I believe there are those in the church that are truly, not perfectly, because there's no one in here that's perfect, but truly and faithfully and sincerely serving Christ, 
I believe that there are, across all the different denominations of the body of Christ, there are people that are faithfully serving Christ. Jesus showed us that in letters to Revelation. Even in some of the most corrupt churches, Jesus said, you have a few that are faithful. Right? So in the body of Christ, there are some that are faithful according to Christ and sincerely serving. Yes, they stumble. Yes, they skin their knees. Yes, they sometimes mess up. But they're sincerely, faithfully following Christ. Then there are those that they're aware of what they should be doing, but they're currently just watching. Maybe they're even a little guilty that they're just watching. They're just sitting back on the sidelines, just watching. They're aware of what they should be doing, but they're too comfortable to move. And then, lastly, there are those that are so self-absorbed, they're completely aware unaware, completely unaware and completely unconcerned of things that have real need and the will of God given through Christ. Those three groups, those that are faithfully serving, those that know they should be and they feel guilty about it, but they still are too comfy in the easy, lazy boy chair, so they don't move forward, and then the third group, they don't even know. You mean there's people dying? You mean there's people sick? You mean there's people hurting? I didn't know that because I, I just spent the past year entertaining myself. And those three groups, I think, are found in the church pews, in the seats of American churches, and not just in America, but around the world. So Jesus is speaking to everyone here, but he's most specifically speaking to the church. Now, verses 42 through 44... Jesus said, who is that faithful and wise servant? His master will make ruler over his household and give him their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant, and the master will find doing when he comes. Here again, Jesus reminds us, he says, but here's the thing. I want to bless all of you, but I need you to be faithful servants. I need you to get out of the lazy boy chair. I need you to refocus on the cross. I need you to come forward. And, I'll bless, and if I've come and you're ready, I'll find you working. And not only this, but he says he'll give us food in due season. Do you want your needs met? I think I do. Do I want spiritual food? Yes. Do I need material, I mean, you know, actual physical food to eat? Yes. Jesus, remember we talked about last week, he provides for the birds out there that none of them are ever as worried as us. The flowers are springing up out of the dirt. Jesus said, I take care of all that. I'll take care of you. But you have to follow me. You have to be serving me. You have to be at my beck and call. Second Timothy 4.8, Paul writes, Finally, there is laid up for me, this is a beautiful passage, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me also, but all those who have loved his appearing. Isn't that wonderful? Paul's like, I'm confident that as many mistakes as I've made, the Holy Spirit has allowed me to live a faithful life. And if Jesus calls me home, I'm not only going to have things to give back to him, But I'm confident, Paul said, all of you that continue to serve faithfully, you too will also receive a great reward from the Lord. 
See, our earthly reviews, our annual reviews, will long be gone. That review will matter for all eternity, won't it? Presumptuous and preoccupied. We want to close with these last uh, few verses. Verses 45. These are the sobering, uh, sad verses of this passage. You know, I used to have a pastor that was a mentor of mine. He he was speaking of the gospel itself. He always said, "You, you don't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. And this is always true in the Bible. God never sugarcoats. He gives us, in sincere love, the whole story and the whole truth. There's a lot of people in our life that won't give us the whole truth because they're afraid to give you all the facts because they're like, this is going to really bum you out. Jesus doesn't work that way. He says, look, I'm going to let you know the whole story. The good news is, is if you choose wisely, you're going to be blessed. But you need to know, there is the other side. You can choose to say thanks, but no thanks. But Jesus will say, know that you were forewarned. Don't you like to be warned of consequences? I do. When I used to be in the business world, there were certain things that the company said were non-negotiables. You do this, you are fired. No one could ever complain later and say, That was so unfair. I got drunk in New Orleans, fell in the ditch, and I was wearing the company logo, and they fired me. We had people, we had people, that happened. They were told not to do it. They were told, you will get fired for this, and they would not listen and say, well, I don't think think it's going to happen to me, so I'll just do it anyway. Sure enough, we saw things like that happen. I was saved, no longer... Those things weren't attractive to me anymore. They were before I got saved. But I would see people make these kind of mistakes. And really, who could they blame but themselves? They had been forewarned. And Jesus forewarns us not to be presumptuous, not to be preoccupied with this world, because he could come at any moment. And he he talks about these uh, first uh, group. He talks about this servant that says in his heart, look at verse 45, My master is delaying in coming. See, this person actually believes that Jesus really will return. They just believe they know when. They believe that the master is going to come, but they're pretty certain it's not going to be soon, so I have time to really satisfy my flesh. And he will come in an hour. So he begins to beat beat the male and female servants to eat and be drunk, or uh, to eat and drink and be drunk. This is a dangerous mindset that Jesus' return is a long time away. Dangerous mindset. Again, because even if Jesus doesn't return for the church in our lifetime, he's going to return in the next 50 years for almost every single one of us here with the end of our life. True? I'm 46. That would put me at 96. My grandmother's still alive at 96, but she's outliving all of us, trust me. I mean, in our family. Maybe not your family, but... The men don't live as long in our family. So I just know in the next 50 years, most of us won't be here. So we have the next 50 years to say, Lord, what can I do or less? Dangerous mindset. I have plenty of time to live. I'll live my life exactly how I choose. And there's three profiles here. Uh, The first two claim, Jesus gives us three different profiles. The first two claim to be servants of Christ. The last one does not. 
doesn't, doesn't claim to be a Christian. But as Jesus lays it out, none of them are believers. The way he lays it out, none of, them, none of, this, none of these three profiles are believers. Notice this person's attitude towards other people. It says, he begins to beat the male and female servants. This is a person, they have no heart for people. This is a good sign that someone is probably not saved. They have no heart for people. Now, he uses the metaphor that they actually beat them, but people that constantly gossip about other people, people that are mean to other people, rude to other people, couldn't care less if people get saved. There's really a real concern from Christ's standpoint. That person has no heart for people, and that's no servant of mine, is who Jesus is saying. Because the servant will reflect the character and the attitude of who? The master. Will be like our master. This is, uh, this is particularly disturbing when you see false leaders and false Christian leaders that have these characteristics. They beat the people for their money. They're, dri- they're driving around in expensive cars and living in lavish homes and all kinds of uh, just, just raking it in. And then when we, you find out some of them, they're having all kinds of other immoral relationships. And, and, they're, not, and they're very comfortable Fleecing the flock. So this is Jesus is speaking to that group. Peter talks about that group as well in his epistles. They live for the flesh. They don't mind hurting people. They live differently than the people. Uh, And really, they've, they've reached a position of power and influence that they actually can suppress people for their own self interest. And you can see this in Christian settings, and you certainly see this, obviously, in the world to the extremes of world dictators. They're the worst of this, right? Where they actually will imprison people, execute people, and they have no problem. They go to sleep at night, no problem at all. So it, it would apply to both unbeliever and believer, but Jesus is speaking to people in the church, and even more specifically, this is most applicable to those that actually lead people because they actually, instead of leading people by love, they lead by lust. Lust for gain, lust for money, lust for power, lust for anything. Very dangerous. Then in verse 46, we see that they have a swift and horrific end. Their master will come at a day, you know, these might even, some of these will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great works in your name? Jesus said, you know, I actually let you preach and some people got saved under your ministry because the word is powerful, but you were filthy. At the same time. You know, people will get saved under false teaching. Thankfully, God usually moves them out of there eventually. But they do get saved under false teaching at times. And Jesus uh, um, warns of this, that they're going to have, they're going to be cut in two, and they will be thrown in with the unbelievers because they were unbelievers. And Jude, uh, Jude writes in Jude 1, uh, 16 through 19, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. They, uh, they have mouths of great swelling words. They flatter people to gain an advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. They would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensuous persons. They cause divisions, not having the spirit. Jude is saying there's people in Christian leadership, quote-unquote, and they're sensual, they're divisive, 
They don't like people. They love themselves, and they love money, and they love lustful things. And he says they will go right into the lake of fire with people that were just idolaters and didn't even know the Bible. And that's what Jesus says here. The worst judgment, by the way, the worst judgment is for people that know the truth and don't obey it. This is the point Jesus is making. It's one thing to not know it, and, and, and there will be punishment for people that uh, reject Christ, but, but people, that not, people that have heard the gospel again and again, and someone who studies the word and then preaches it falsely, it's a, it's a stricter judgment. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, now, remember that the first profile is someone who has a position of authority, doesn't like people, and is cut in two. That sounds a little worse than beaten with many stripes, doesn't it? To be cut in two? You don't live after you're cut in two, right? You're beaten with many stripes is, is severe punishment. Now, this is not for the believers because those of us who stand for the judgment seat of Christ were never beaten. We're only given commendation for what we did well. We're not held accountable for what we didn't do well in the sense that our sins, those are cast as far as the east is from the west. Thankfully, that's under grace. But beaten with stripes, this was the servant who did not prepare himself. This second profile to me is the more common profile in the lukewarm church. This is the most common profile in the lukewarm church. A very sad and sobering indictment here. Um... This is sad. You know, the church, we know enough, but we lie to ourselves. That, you know, God's kind of okay with uh, me just kind of kicking back. You know, a little dab of Jesus, a little dab of Sunday morning, little bit, you know, that kind of thing. I love the answer the little boy gave to his mother when she asked, What is a lie, honey? He said, Mom, a lie is an abomination of the Lord, but a very present help in time of need. The church, many people in the church think like this. They know it's wrong, but when they lie to themselves, it it helps you feel good about what you're doing or not doing, right? And it helps you kind of get get through the guilt or the, oh, I I probably should be surrendered to Christ, but yeah, he's he's okay with me just kind of doing my own thing. And this, Jesus says clearly, this is the servant who knew his master's will, but did not prepare himself. I mean, is that not a sobering, this isn't some pastor telling you, this, this is the literal red letter words of Jesus. He's saying, this servant knew what to do. Jesus said, it's so sad, but just wouldn't do it. I'd say, go work in the vineyard. He'd say, can I do it next week? Say it again next week. He'd say, how about next week? I'd say it next week. He'd say, what about next week? I'd say it the week after that. He'd say, what about the week after that? And then all of a sudden, the weeks were ended. And this, this servant knew what to do, but just wouldn't do it. We can lie to ourselves, can't we? Make ourselves comfortable, make ourselves feel you know, that everything's okay. Billy Graham wrote uh, in World of Flame, my, he said, Mr. Average Man is comfortable in his complacency, as, as, as is unconcerned as a silverfish ensconced in a carton of discarded magazines on world affairs. Mr. Average Man is not asking any questions because his social benefits from the government give him a false sense of security. 
this is his horrible, this is his trouble and his tragedy. Um, modern men become spectators of the world events, observing on the television screen without becoming involved. He watches the ominous events of our times pass before his eyes while he sips his beer in a comfortable chair. He does not seem to care what is happening to him. He does not understand that the world is on fire and he is about to be burned with it. Billy Graham wrote that. I don't know how long back, but isn't that true? He says, modern man just sitting there, Mr. Average Man, not, and Jesus is saying, wake up. Verse 47, this is the servant who knew what to do, but was still kicking back. Lamp not lit, not ready. And say, well, I'm ready if he comes at three in the afternoon, but not three in the morning. And Jesus says, but I'm not giving you that option. I need you to be ready for both 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. Because servants were servants. They were fully vested. They were fully dialed in. And then the last here, verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of strife shall be eaten with few. In hell, there will be levels of judgment. The least, the, the lowest level of judgment for people that didn't hear the gospel a ton of times and didn't sit in churches. Uh, I know that's kind of weird for us to kind of comprehend, but that's, that's the way God frames it for us, that uh, when judgment finally comes, it's those that uh, they didn't know all this stuff. They still have a responsibility. Romans 1, I don't have time to go into the theology of, of that everyone is without excuse, but Romans 1 talks about this, that the whole world is without excuse. But there are many people that, that you'll meet, and they truly have never really been to church even once in their lifetime. They don't know the gospel and they're not near as accountable for all that we have heard. After today's service, we're even more accountable. And that's it's always a sobering thing for me because I'm more accountable. We're all more accountable. We all have more accountability for what we've been given because Jesus says, for everyone, much is given, much is required. I've received so much Bible truth from the Holy Spirit that I'm accountable for a lot. You know what I have rest in, though? I have God to help me. Isn't that great? It's not a burden. I'm not stressing out about that because I know whatever he gives me for his good, he's going to help me use it for his good. And you too. And I also know that I don't have to worry about what I'm missing out on because the only rest and peace is to do his will. And then when I finish the race and run the course, like Paul said, someday I'll sit down at a banquet and Jesus himself will preside over the banquet and say, aren't you glad you invested here than Apple? Aren't you glad you invested here than Exxon? You know, some days those companies won't exist anymore. Say, oh, no, no, there's no way. If the world should last long enough, many of the companies that were massive 100, 200 years ago aren't around. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Companies rise, companies fall. Profits rise, profits fall. Precious metals rise, precious metals fall. Jesus said, but in heaven, it doesn't budge. It only grows in value. And someday Jesus said, I'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, to those of you that actually listened and said, yes, Lord, I'm going to gird myself with truth. I'm going to keep the lamp lit. And I'm going to walk in you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of every believer and every unbeliever 
And as we come to a close, back to our starting point. Time is short, isn't it, folks? The Lord is not willing that any should perish. He writes these things that nobody would choose the foolish way. I've told people that are unsaved, I said, you know, Satan doesn't have a sign that says, this way to hell. Do you know what Satan's sign says? This way to heaven. That's why he is a master deception. His sign does not say, this way to hell. Satan's sign says, this way to heaven. God's sign says this way to heaven. The only difference is the signatures. Which one will you believe, right? Time is short. He desires, Jesus desires to say to every one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Those in the church, those outside the church that are not saved yet, but we have to lay aside our desires, don't we? And say, Lord, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to be a faithful servant. Three questions. We come to an end. There's an old hymn. It goes like this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I... True or not true? That's question one. Question two. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, we're to be living sacrifices, and Paul writes, it's our reasonable service. True or not true? Paul says it's reasonable service. He said it's like axiomatic service. Basic, that it's reasonable. The last one, is it worth it? It's worth it now, and it'll be worth a million times more in eternity. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. Jesus, you did pay it all. Lord, it is our reasonable service to follow you as faithful servants, And Lord, we know by experience, those of us who are saved, and by faith, that it is worth it and will be even more worth it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.